one of the most popular songs this time of year is Little Drummer Boy. It's been recorded by artists such as the Ray Kahn of Singers, Marlene Dietrich, Joan Jett and the Heartbreakers, and even Bob Seger. The premise of the song seems to reflect back to the Magi of Matthew chapter 2, where you have these men that are described for us by Matthew, depending on your translation, as Magi from the east. And they're able to bring some amazing gifts to this new baby boy. But for the song, you have this little boy. And he cannot bring any of those things. The only thing he is able to bring is a little piece of himself as one who drums. His only gift that he can bring to the new king is a song which is what every mother wants for her infant to have. Someone pounding the drums, right? But he says, all I bring is my song. All I bring is my drum. He saw something about this child, this Messiah, this King, and he says, this is what I can bring. And the question for us is, what can we bring Jesus? What gifts can we offer to the king? The world is celebrating this week the birth of this Jesus. Do they know Jesus? Are we prepared to tell them about Jesus? Can we use this moment in their mind to bring their attention to the question, what can I bring? What should I bring? in response to the gift of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please be turning to Matthew chapter 2. And as we look at Matthew Matthew chapter 2, I want you to ask the question, or answer the question, are you the little drummer boy this morning? Think about the story of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Think about the impact of this story, and then think about what you are willing to to give Christ. Notice the story, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the, ch- for the child. And when you have found him, report to me, so that I too may come and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east 
went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then they opening, then opening their treasures, they presented him, to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. As we look at this story, there are some things that we learn about the significance that these men understood about Jesus. It's likely that these men were Babylonian astrologers. They believed in the alignment of stars determined the changes in power and reign of kings. We think of astrology today, and we think about getting out your little horoscope and and seeing uh, what the week is supposed to bring based on what somebody has examined. But the Babylonians throughout history, and especially during this time of, of history, were as a people, steadiers of the stars. And they felt like they could trace what was going to happen in the events of time by looking at the stars. They weren't messing around with horoscopes. And these were probably dignitaries from Babylon. We think about the Magi and we say, well, what's a Magi? Maybe we can't fully understand that term. Some suggest wise men. So we have the song, We Three Men of Orient Art. Uh, we talk about the three wise men. doesn't say, by the way, how many wise men there are. People grab that because you have three gifts. They each had a gift. You don't know that. It's just kind of a side note. But these were probably dignitaries because if you think about it, Rome was on one side of the Mediterranean world, controlling the empire as far as Damascus as far as a portion of what you and I call Syria. But Persia and the Carpathians were a country that the Romans weren't able to conquer. And so these were men from another country. Not within the Roman Empire, but outside the Roman Empire. And here they are coming within the Roman Empire, and they're coming to see King Herod. Now, I remember King Herod was a puppet king for the Romans. He was a friend of Augustus Caesar, grew up with him. And so Augustus was able to convince the Roman Senate to allow Herod to reign as king and control things for the Roman government in Judea. And so that's who Herod is. He really has no authority in and of himself, but you see, these are men who are coming from another country, and they must be dignitaries, or it seems like they're dignitaries, because how many kings do you know just happen to welcome strangers who are traveling through? Do you think Obama or Bush or Clinton or the other Bush or Reagan... When people go to Washington, D.C., do you think those men ever let people just come into the White House? Well, one of them did, but we're not going to mention any names. But even then, it was for a price. But you see, 
these men come and they ask for an audience with the king. And he says, what are you looking for? And they say, look, we have heard that this, there's a new king that has been born in, in the area. We've seen his star. Now remember, these are people that study the stars because they think that they're able to predict future events and changes in government based on the movement of the stars. And they see a unique star in the sky. And they come to Herod, who is Edomian by birth. That means he's a descendant of Edom. He's a descendant of Esau. And when David had been king in Israel, they had conquered the, Ed- the Edomians or the Edomites. And the Edomites were familiar with God, the God of Abraham, because that was Esau's granddad, right? And they had kind of been assimilated into Jewish culture by this time. And so ethnically, he's not quite a Jew, even though Rome recognizes him as a Jew. That's why he's the king of the Jews. Here it is. Probably wasn't real faithful religiously, but he had some inkling about the Old Testament and the prophecies of the Old Testament. So he calls together the chief priests and the scribes, and he says, I want to know for sure. You tell me, where is this guy going to be born? Where does the Old Testament prophet say the king of the Jews is going to be born? He believes they know, and he believes that it is real. And so he asks those who would know, the chief priests and the scribes, where does the prophet say? Because he believes it could be true. And they say, you know what, Micah, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 says that there in the little town of Bethlehem, in the region of Apatha, Micah 5, 2, Bethlehem of Hathra, is where the Messiah is going to be born. Out of you, Judah, is going to come a ruler, and he's going to be a shepherd for my people. And that's not a message that Herod wants to hear, because Herod is a crazy, crazy man. He was zealous, and he was jealous to hang on to his power and his authority. He was so zealous and he was so jealous that he had his favorite wife killed. You heard me right, his favorite wife. He said she was his favorite wife. Killed because he had heard a rumor that she was conspiring with his sons to kill him so they could become king. And four days before his own death, he had his sons killed. Herod was a bloody, bloody man. That's why when we look at the text, the text tells us when the Magi come, in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, that they saw the sign, the Magi saw that the king of the Jews had been born, that Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Why was Jerusalem troubled? Because they knew Herod was going to kill everybody. They knew this wasn't going to be good. And so Herod tells the Magi, he says, look, when you find him, can you just let me know? Because I think I'd like to go worship that king. He had no intent of worshiping that king. 
because it was his kingdom. And he planned to live for a long time. But what's interesting in the story is that these men who are in all likelihood some kind of dignitaries, some men of rank, some men of import, high enough in social standing and rank that the king of the region, representative of Rome itself, friends with Augustus Caesar, would say, come into my house and let's visit. These men of renown were coming here not because they wanted to track down the star, not because they were kind of inquisitive. They wanted to worship, to pay homage to this child that they knew was the anointed one, the Messiah. How would they have known that? Where was Daniel taken into captivity? Into Babylon. About 500 years before this event. And when Israel was taken into captivity by Babylon, thousands of Jews went to Babylon. And they continued to worship God. And they continue to be faithful, some of them, to God. And you had Esther and you had Darius and Xerxes and Haman and all of those characters. And the wise men of Babylon recognized Daniel for his wisdom and for the God that he served. It's very likely that these Magi, even if they had not converted to Judaism, had at least heard those stories. And a lot of those Jews came back with Nehemiah and with Ezra to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Around 400 B.C. But most of the Jews, many of the Jews, stayed where? In Babylon. It's very likely that these men had heard the prophets and have heard of the prophets of this God that these Jewish people were following. And they recognized that star and they recognized that sign and they associated that with Jesus and they said, There is a Messiah, an anointed one. We need to go see him. We need to go recognize him. We need to go pay respect and homage to him. And so they make the trek to Jerusalem and they meet with the reigning king of the Jews, Herod. And they say, where is the new king going to be born? Herod finds out and so they go down to Bethlehem. And they meet the baby Jesus. Isn't it interesting in verse 11 it says, after coming into the house. In modern culture, how is it depicted? The shepherds of Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2 are there, baby Jesus has just been born, and in come the wise men. But really, when we look at the text of Scripture, we find out, no, they came into the house. At some point, this is after Jesus' birth, long enough after Jesus' birth, that they go into the house. And what else is interesting is that under Jewish law, 
if you had a certain amount of wealth and income, you were to make one type of sacrifice in Jerusalem when your baby was eight days old. But that's not what G Mary and Joseph make. They take the sacrifice of poverty, two turtle doves. That's what they sacrificed to do this. And yet the wise men just gave Jesus gold and myrrh, which is expensive oil used for anointing, for soothing of aches and pains and that sort of thing, and frankincense, which was a very costly perfume, you know, not Old Spice. This was the good stuff. You got this at Nordstrom's. Very valuable things. It would have been expected for Mary and Joseph to use that to pay for sacrifices in the temple. This is some time after. Isn't it also interesting that, that Herod wants to know, he says, when did you exactly see that star? How old were the children that Herod have, had killed? Two and under. I don't know how old Jesus was when they came to see Jesus. Maybe Herod just wanted to make sure he crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's and went up to two years of age. But maybe there's a hint there of how much time has elapsed. Whatever the case, when the, when the Magi come to see Jesus, they go into the house and they offer him these gifts. But more importantly, they worship Jesus. Proskineos, the Greek word, the Persian word, which these men were, by the way, which means to prostrate yourself on the ground. They put their faces on the ground and they paid reverence to this child as the Messiah, the anointed one. They recognized not just that he was going to be the king, but that he was going to be one who did something magnificent, something unique, something special. He was, whether they knew it or not, the one who would take away the sins of the world. And so they leave these gifts. And they go by a different way to go back home. And when Herod finds out, he is furious. Notice verse 13. Excuse me, verse 16. Then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi. He became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Jerusalem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Remember the question. When did you see the star? The basis of his decision to kill the children two and under was the basis of the time that they said they saw the star. I think it's about a thousand miles between Jerusalem and, and Babylon. Okay, so how much time did it take for them to travel? Verse 18, a voice crying out was heard in Ramah, weeping with great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children as she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And so Herod has the children killed because he wants to retain his power and his authority. He believed the prophets. He believed that there was a king coming that would reign on David's throne. And he wanted to get rid of that child so that he could retain his power as king. What's the impact of the story? These men were moved to respond to the news that they had heard 
of a Messiah, an anointed one, a great king. And they came a great distance to worship Jesus. They weren't just coming to pay homage to a new king that was, had been born. They heard, oh, this is going to be the new king. It wasn't like they got on an airplane and they flew to London because they heard that the prince had a new child or a new grandchild that would someday be king. Do you think Prince Charles is, wait, is ever waiting to become king? When is that going to happen? They weren't just coming as dignitaries to pay their respects. They came to worship. They traveled more than a thousand miles, entered a country that in at least some sense had friction and tension with the Roman Empire, and they came into that country because they wanted to worship. There was something different and unique about this king, this boy, this child. Their worship was more than just an obligation. They went to great pains and bought great gifts. One issue, one element, not in the text here, but it's pointed out in the song, the little drummer boy, is the value of those gifts, the myrrh, the frankincense, and the gold. We understand the idea of gold. We don't know how much gold they brought. But if they were men of such great dignitary that they could just come into another land and come immediately and meet with the king of that land, my guess is it was more than a quarter. And they brought myrrh, which itself was an expensive element. Not just everyone could go and get some myrrh. And frankincense. Expensive things. And in the song, the little drummer boy, look, I can't bring you all of these wealthy things. I can't bring you all these things of great value. All I can give is myself and my song. I don't know what that's worth, but let me play a song. The question for us is, are you the little drummer boy? Maybe we don't have things like the gold or the myrrh or the expensive perfume. But what are you willing to give to Jesus? What are you willing to give when you think about what God has done for us? As we read in our communion service this morning, from Matthew chapter 26 and into Matthew chapter 27, the agony and the anguish that Jesus endured because He wanted to give us forgiveness of sins. You see, the story of Jesus' birth isn't the beginning it's not the fulfillment. It's just one part of God's plan to bring His Son into the world for the express purpose of watching Him die for our sins. Because He loved you and I so much that He wanted our sins to be done away with so that we could live with Him forever. And He knew there was only one sacrifice that was able and capable to take away those sins, and that was the death of His perfect, sinless Son. That couldn't happen unless Jesus was born. Isn't it interesting that once you get past Matthew and, and Luke, you don't read any more about Jesus' birth in the New Testament? Because the power is not in His birth in his death and it's in his resurrection but you see these wise men these, these magi came from Babylon because they 
knew, they had heard something about this king, this Messiah. And they wanted to see him and pay respect and reverence and homage to him for what he would do for them. And so what can we give? What are you willing to give? If you could describe your faith today, where would you place it? I believe in Jesus and so I'm fine? Or is there something more that you need to do with your faith? This is a story not about some wise men who thought it would be nice to come and see Jesus, but their belief prompted them to take action, to travel a thousand miles, to go to great pains, to take great wealth. If you believe Jesus is the Messiah, what impact has that belief made in your life? Are you willing to do more than just occasionally talk about Jesus? Once or twice a year, think about Jesus. Are you willing to let Him change your life? Think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 1 and 2, what ought to be the impact for Christians of Jesus' sacrifice. How our lives ought to be changed by the gospel. That's what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives need to be transformed. Instead of molding and shaping our lives to what the world is doing, what the world believes, and what the world says is okay, we need to let our minds be transformed so that we're able through practice to demonstrate this is God's will. This is what is good. This is what is acceptable. This is what is perfect because I've changed my mind from thinking as the world to thinking according to God's standard. What you find in Scripture? It's not enough to believe, yes, Jesus was a great person. It's not enough even to believe that Jesus came as a, as a king to bring peace to all men. Which, by the way, if you read Luke, is peace to all men are pleasing to him. Those that follow him. What are you going to do with Jesus? What will you give him? What do you give the person, the God, who has everything? Because he's made it. The one thing where you have free will and choice. And that is yourself. Give your life to Christ. You can do that by being united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, and then living in a manner worthy of Jesus each day as much as you can. And if that's what you need to do this morning, won't you come? Together we stand and sing.